Trek Companion. This is episode 222. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing fifth season episodes for Voyager, Timeless, Infinite Regress, and Nothing Human. Here we go. Timeless Season 5, Episode 6, Production Code 201. Original air date, November 18th, 1998. Directed by LeVar Burton. Story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Joe Minoski. Teleplay by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include LeVar Burton as Captain Jordy LaForge and Christine Harnos as Tessa Omond. Fifteen years in the future, Chakotay and Kim discover Voyager frozen on the surface of an ice world. They recover the body of Seven of Nine and collect the Doctor via his mobile emitter and return to the Delta Flyer. Kim restores the Doctor and explains that he can send a message back in time to Seven via her interplexing beacon using a stolen Borg temporal transmitter, which would then prevent the destruction of Voyager and crew. We're not here to salvage your program. We're here to prevent this disaster from ever happening. You see, Doc, 15 years ago, I miscalculated the slipstream threshold and transmitted the wrong phase corrections to Voyager. Boom. They were knocked out of the slipstream and sent to an icy death. Thank you, Ensign Kim. But I've had a long time to rethink my mistake. And now I know how to fix it. So, we're going to send Voyager a new set of phase corrections. Gentlemen, this is a weird one for me. I remember when this episode aired, they really marketed it. Oh, Voyager's 100th episode. And it was very popular. People seem to really respond to it. You see it in like top 10 lists for Voyager. I know it's in one. It's that, that, um, is it Paul Block and Erdman? The Star Trek 101 book? Or no, it was Paul Block, right? where she lists like 10 episodes you must see from each series. It's on that list for Voyager. I have never loved this episode. I think it's fine. I think it's solid. I do not think it's a city on the edge of forever Voyager episode. Not for one second have I ever felt that way. I, it's got some some great visuals. That opening teaser is pretty awesome. But I've I guess I've just, I've never quite understood the pop culture love for this episode and i'm dying to hear how you guys stand on it um yeah i think i would agree brian i mean i i you know we got i got through this episode and i was thinking about it and i'm like you know it looks like they were kind of aiming high to try to kind of like you said kind of create this really great episode um i kind of feel it it has some themes that we've we've seen before um one of the things I was thinking about is um, the visitor, you know, they're going, you know, and it's not the same, but, it, you know, you're trying to fix time. That's Kim here. He's trying to, to fix a mistake. He's trying to fix what happened to Voyager. It kind of reminded me of the visitor with Jake, you know, trying to go back in time and to, to save his father, um, this kind of thing. So that, I, those kind of themes reminded me of the visitor in this episode. But I'm definitely with you. I like this episode. I think it's a solid episode, but I, I wouldn't go so far to say it's a great episode or, um, you know, or a top 10 for sure. I, I agree. Um, I, I think I like, I think I, I, again, I do like it. And I think, like you said, I think it's solid and everything. I, um, I think I liked it more before and I, over time I got, and I think why is that I've, over time I've come to 
appreciate certain aspects of storytelling more than I did in the past. But I mean, I think it's definitely one of those things that's, that's worthy of like a, a milestone marker in the sense that it's action packed and this kind of stuff, you know, and time travel. And that's always a fun theme, but I think why it's this way for me is that, you know, you kind of compared it to the visitor uh, with, in terms of the a main character going back in time to do this kind of thing. And while that is an element, the kind of the, um, emotional resonance isn't there you know there's not for whatever reason there's not this feeling that you're identifying with kim the whole way because it's 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 supposed to be his kind of story right like he's jaded and beats himself up because of a mistake and 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 sometimes the the older kim it kind of doesn't come off right i mean it doesn't really seem like it's genuine this kind of angry you know hates life kind of thing i mean i get it but it just seems a little bit artificial to me and then I, you don't, I don't know that it, I see how it totally affects the young Kim in any real way. And, I, and for some reason, it just doesn't carry anywhere near the emotional resonance of something like the visitor does with that, you know, with why he did what he did and the motivation and how deep that was and so on. So I, I think it's that it's the character thing or something. He's, he's forever the, the young guy, the ensign. Uh, I mean, that's how his character was designed on this show. He does that well. He, you know, when you put him as the lead, I don't know that that one with the the society that that like is beaming people or sending them to that place where they think they're dying, but then he comes back. You know the one I'm talking about. I can't remember. Yeah, the yeah, no. yeah. yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing where I think he does well. Put him next to Tom in in the shoot, and and he's solid. Mm-hmm. But when, but I don't think he ever really. Yeah, I, I don't. I never really believe him when he's trying to play the older you know, experienced wasteland version. Mm-hmm. I, I just never quite, quite buy it. I like him as much as the next guy, but that's just, that's not something he does real well. Well, something I kind of noticed for, you know, you know, we're five years in to Voyager and I kind of feel like we still have a lot of the kind of same themes with the character Kim that we had from season one. It still seems like he's kind of trying to prove himself, you know, early on in the episode when he's, you know, he's, he's trying to, to get the slipstream drive done and he's it just kind of seems forced the character you know he's you know tom him and tom in the beginning and they're trying to figure this out you know he has this thing where he's like oh we got to do this and it just to me that it still kind of feels forced i feel kind of like at this point he should be more confident with himself and who he is in his place on voyager i mean most of the other characters i i feel like they're confident in that on that same note um Janeway is like, even after they explain the risks and stuff, Janeway's like, nope, we've waited long enough. I know it's a risk. I'm like, this does not sound like Janeway. I don't think she would be taking this large of a risk. This is mm-hmm. too risky for Janeway. So this is a whole ship and all the crew? Yeah. I think that could have been written a little better, too. Yeah, I kind of, I had something down for, I'm um, like, you know, why do they have to do this all in one shot? Why couldn't they do, you know, a couple slipstream jumps at a time and just... But I don't know if it's just a writing thing, but that was what one thing I have. Why do they have to do this all in one shot? Because they've done the slipstream in the past where, you know, I think, what was it? The Borg, they had that slipstream drive, you know, a couple episodes ago with that, that one guy and they made it a, a little while. And yeah, it just seemed kind of forced all of this in this episode. Well, and I think in general, there may just be uh, trying to pack too much in kind of thing to this episode too. I mean, if there's not, a, there's not really enough time for the whole Kim's purpose and the whole that whole thing to, 
to take center stage and be the be the main focus or you have to spend too much time on it to get the story told but you also have all these other elements of the technical stuff the um, what's going on in the future in Chakotay and there's his love interest and it's kind of like who cares and then the, they, the doctor and that's like oh you know he's he's there and let's use him for this thing but the, he he's sure he's shocked at what's going on in the time that's passed but it's just all just flies by and oh it's there's seven land dead and it's all just so much and they just no time to really spend on any one thing another thing i, I feel like i've been complaining slightly more than <laughs> i used to about is uh the techno babble it never it never ever bothered me before but i'm to the point now where it seems to bother me only when it's just when it's like too much the sequence where kim explains his plan with the shuttle and stuff it's like holy mary this is like minutes of techno babble and it's just it's just like wasted minutes on screen of nonsense and now that I've seen, yeah, I, I didn't. I, mean, I don't know. We just, I don't know. There, I just, I have, I seem to have a techno babble limit. This episode exceeded it, and it just feels kind of meaningless. The other kind of negative thing I wanted to say about this episode is that for an episode that's supposed to be so big and epic, episode one hundred, Voyager crashes into the ice. This episode feels oddly small to me. You've basically got our existing sets on Voyager. You've got this one shuttle thing. That that Chicote and Kim are on, and by the way, Chicote with that Tessa character, them trying to have emotional moments. I'm like, I've I've ne- I literally never seen this character before in my life. <laughs> this is meaningless. You know that didn't work at all for me because I'd never seen her. But anyway, uh, so you've got this one set there. Even when Captain Jordy LaForge shows up on the USS Galaxy Class Challenger, we see the captain like sitting. A- <laughs> a real tight yeah. shot of him sitting in his chair. I know why they did it. They're not going to pay, a, you know, they're not going to put design a bridge and all this, obviously, and have all the extra actors there for that, of course. But it's just one more thing that contributes to this episode feeling oddly small to me. And it, and it what year does it come out? 90, uh, 98. So they could have at least had the, you know, uh, the new version of the Enterprise. Well, time. it wasn't the Enterprise. It was. A, it was. Well, just no, you know what I'm saying? That that class. What was the What was the class of the um, the newest Enterprise? Whatever class. I think, I think it was Sovereign. The E was. Oh, yeah. I, don't know, I think. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have done a Sovereign class just for kind of fun. So it, it just it it just it's just another contributing factor where this episode is kind of like fighting against itself. Like like we're saying, you know, Kim is great as the young guy, but maybe when he plays the old grizzled guy, it doesn't. It's kind of, you know, the opposite of his strengths. Uh, You're making this grand, epic episode that feels oddly small and claustrophobic uh, because you've got a, you know, a tight shot of Captain LaForge (laughs) or this one little shuttle set. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, these are the kind of things that hold the episode back for me significantly. I definitely would not put it in my top 10 of Voyager, not by a long shot. All that said, there are plenty of things that I enjoy about this episode. I think it's neat that you have a time travel episode without anybody time traveling through time. I think the, the opening teaser is fantastic. I think it's one of the best teasers in the entire series. You know, this this opening with them beaming onto this cold planet, walking mm-hmm. around, and the, the shot pulls back, and you see Voyager under the ice. That's really great. Yeah, the pacing of the episode is is pretty good. There's not any, um, you know, I agree with you about um, the character test. That was an, it was interesting, but I mean, yeah, there's no emotional connection to her because, like you said, you just she just we see her for the first time and then she's gone. You know, you don't really kind of 
get that connection between her and Chakotay. I did like the line. I did find it amusing, the line with Kim and the doctor. And he's like, oh, they're sleeping together. <laughs> I don't know. It just was amusing, I guess, at the time. Yeah, it was kind of out of left field. Like, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I said, the the pacing in the episode is good. I You did get to see a little bit more of the Delta Flyer. It has us all these back corridors and that kind of thing. So we're, we're getting to explore the Delta Flyer a little bit more. It's an interesting story. I think it just kind of, I'm, I agree with Steve, it misses the mark um, emotionally. It doesn't quite get there. And that's probably because they tried to jam pack so much into this episode. Whereas, the, you know, I'll go back to the visit where the visitor was kind of a simple concept. This, this episode, I think, tried to do too much. And, it, you know, you kind of lost your emotion. Was it an emotional journey or was it an action story? And it kind of felt like it, didn't quite choose which one it wanted to be. So, what is this episode about? You know, it's about the choices we make, and can we live with them or can we correct them? And you know, in the Star Trek universe, obviously, there's always a, a possibility where you can um, do a little time traveling and fix those mistakes. There and, are um, always possibilities. Possibilities, and um, you know, and move on with your life in a new timeline. But I think you know, for the general audience, if you want to take something from this episode, it's um. When you make choices that don't turn out, you know, you have to incorporate them and not necessarily accept them and be who you are, but I mean, incorporate them and make, make them become who you are going forward and try to make yourself a better person. I think what this episode was trying to say is, you know, Kim was, for these 15 years, Kim was trapped in this kind of this nightmare of the mistake that he made. And um, he never, he got into this obsession where he had to go back in time to fix it. And for the normal person that, that we all are this this isn't an option but i think at kind of the end of the episode you can kind of to me you can kind of see the the old kim kind of with the message that he sent to younger kim kind of you see that kind of more of that acceptance i don't know that's kind of what i took i agree with that and i think that since we don't have that option to time travel one thing i think we can a couple of things we can take is is one is is you well you kind of can see the the, the consequences of of being becoming jaded and choosing not to move on or not being able to and also you know ultimately his choice he had to make was to you know basically get you know abort that whole slipstream thing versus alter it and it was almost like you kind of had to make a compromise and i think there might be something there too that sometimes you have to cut your losses you know you, you can be so ambitious about some perfect solution or perfect answer and sometimes you just gotta realize that well if you want to if you want to keep well, life goes on and you gotta and you gotta keep keep uh, fighting but sometimes you can't implement that perfect solution right you've got to just uh you know do do something more basic and then try again you know all right let's do six degrees for timeless steve are you going first or second i'll go first lavar burton plays captain jordy laforge how many other times will he appear on voyager how many more times will he appear on voyager mm-hmm. gosh i'm trying to remember this stuff if it um zero that's correct adam yes name burton's roots character that made him famous i have asked this before haven't i oh well guess it makes it easy um kunta kente or yes sir all right one to one moving on 
Infinite Regress, Season 5, Episode 7, Production Code 203, Original Air Date, November 25th, 1998, Directed by David Livingston, Story by Robert J. Doherty and Jimmy Diggs, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Includes Scarlett Palmers as Naomi Wildman, Neil Moffin as Ben, and Erica Murr as Human Girl. Seven begins experiencing a form of multiple personality disorder. After several incidences witnessed by the crew, she is taken to sickbay to try to find the source of the neurological problem. Seven speculates that it could be due to an active and undamaged viculum still in the debris fields from a Borg vessel recently detected. Voyager alters course to retrieve the viculum and investigate further. I'm not sure why, but you seem to be manifesting personalities other than your own. Naomi Wildman claims the two of you played together for nearly an hour this afternoon. You also attacked Lieutenant Torres. She told us you called yourself Son of Kavok and that you initiated a Klingon mating ritual. I have no memory of those events. Infinite regress. Uh, Adam, you want to start us on this one? Yeah, it's an interesting episode, you know, with Seven, um, with all the multiple personalities. Um, I I like the scene with... um, Oh my gosh, I forgot her name. It just slipped my head. Um, the little girl, um, Naomi, right? That's her name? Naomi mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, That was an interesting scene because, you know, usually, you know, we see Seven. She's very strict and, you know, orderly, you know, um, not just um, in her routine, but in her, you know, in the performance, you know, she's Borg and this is kind of how they set up the character. So it was interesting to see kind of this other side, you know, her as a, a playful child and, you know, these different characters. It was... um. You know, it was a, to me, I just kind of found that interesting to see that kind of different look at um, not only the actress, but just the character in general. So I enjoyed that scene early on when they're playing, the, you know, they're playing little games and that kind of stuff. And obviously at the end of the episode, she um, she wants to explore her relationship with um, this, um, Naomi more. So I enjoyed those things. Um like I said, I kind of, I think this is a solid episode. It's an interesting story. You know, you have the, the board technology that brings all these um, elements back up from seven and, you know, it's plausible, you, you know, they're in the collective and they collect all this information. So it's, to me, it's a plausible storyline that she has all these different personalities inside her. So um, yeah, it worked for me. Steve. Yeah. I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I, I think, on on the negative side, the only thing I say is it seems like Seven's always losing her mind and they're <laughs> always going back to this the kooky stuff with the Borg. But I, I do think this is good because it it seems that she actually uh, progresses somewhere. You know, by the it's not that she we're not we're not having the same tired old I'm going to defy orders and make a mess of things and then I'm a reclamation project for Janeway and blah blah blah. This is different. It's like she's um she's loosening up a bit she wants to play but the end she wants to learn how to play a game from naomi you know and they're that they have a fun chemistry there and i think it, this definitely showcases jerry ryan's acting i mean i thought it was i thought it was all quite good when she's jumping around these different personalities and all this kind of thing and, and it's also this interesting notion of the guilt involved with you know the the people that have been assimilated and, you know, even though you're separated from all this, it's impossible to totally remove yourself from that ever, you know, what you've done and what you've contributed to and, and having, and being basically forced to live through that as some kind of, you know, torture thing or whatever. Yeah. I I think my favorite scene is the one, uh, in seven's room when she's with the doctor and they're listening to those logs that she had left. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, these were 
happy normal people that she helped assimilate and yeah <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good scene her Ferengi was really great. You talk about her solid acting. I thought her <laughs> yeah. Ferengi was excellent. Yeah, that's fun. That's cool. Which is funny because she hadn't actually seen a Ferengi before. The right, right. Said, um, Jerry Ryan had not seen a Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the costumes of the uh, that those aliens. That's <laughs> like these raincoats that are lit up. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of the technical aspects of this episode haven't aged particularly well mm, you know yeah. the funky lens yeah yeah uh, that they shoot her the mind melt sequence with i mean no but i don't think you would do a scene like that today yeah um but well, i think is what you were talking about in the last scene you know you gotta you gotta do something creative with with no money so it's kind of like what you were talking about with the galaxy class starship and and the forge you know they did they give you the hint of, um, you know, hey, we're going to do something really cool, but because they probably like the budget, they kind of have to just figure it out with with the shoestring budget that they had to do it. So it was like, well, let's just kind of make it shaky and blurry and just um, anxious for everybody. Yeah, it was one of these things is kind of a, a side conversation for another time, but watching Discovery, whether you love it or hate it, uh, it's it's an order of magnitude higher production value than we've ever yeah. seen on any Star Trek television show ever, you know, and a lot of the conversation, uh, you know, like the, the older movies, for example, they used to make them with the exception of the first film, obviously, but, you know, Star Trek's two through 10 were made relatively cheaply compared to mm-hmm. other blockbuster things. You know, they were made relatively cheaply, because they knew they were going to get X number of dollars return on their investment. And then when JJ came in and did, you know, 2009 Star Trek, and then the couple of sequels, that's the first time they spent big Hollywood blockbuster numbers on mm-hmm. budget. The first one did well, the second one not as well, and the third one even less. And it kind of killed itself, because if they were making them cheaper, we would have already gotten a fourth movie. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the thoughts I've had watching Discovery is, well, I hope the ratings stay stupidly high because otherwise they're not going to spend this kind of money. And they've already told themselves, well, this is what Star Trek has to be now, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if it doesn't make, you know, if they were just getting, if they get lower ratings, they they couldn't afford to keep making the show because they wouldn't decide to make it cheaper. Yeah. And that's one of the things I was thinking about when watching a lot of these these Voyager episodes, it really was a different time when when you did things like use a funky lens and this was the one of the more expensive shows on TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But we're just in a totally different landscape now. There's so much content. Sure. Well, it's interesting. You kind of bring this up. I was watching, um, I don't mean to flout something, but we did a, we did, I did an interview with George Lucas 10 years ago. And one of the questions was, I had to go back and review it just a couple of days ago and somebody, you know, they were asking him about, we yeah, were asking him about television. And he was saying, you know, Oh, and this was an 09. So we weren't quite where we are now, but he was talking about how it's kind of an easier medium. He kind of made the point that it's not as um, television still isn't on that um, plateau that um, say film is, but I was, I was thinking about that between, you know, 10 years and, but that's, that's the lines between television and cinema are far less than they were even 10 years ago. And 
miles away from what they were, you know, back in the nineties when Voyager was going out. So well, certainly production wise, that's, you know, that's what I was getting at. When you watch yeah. an episode of discovery, it's very cinematic. I challenge you to find something. I mean, I'm not even just talking about the fact that they finished the show in, in, in cinema scope. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about like uh, effects and but like every shot they've, they've put a, a CG sky in or something, you know, like there's, or the, the what was it? The second, Oh, well, you haven't seen the second season yet, but like the first or second episode, they had that whole sequence in the asteroid belt. And that was crazy. That that was beyond what prior to the JJ movies we'd ever, ever even seen in the Star Trek mm-hmm. feature. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was that was six months of previs and, and and, you know, I mean, that was just and that's a that's a TV show now. There, there, there's no difference now. It, yeah. The only difference is the same difference. It always was that they make it a little bit faster. But now you can do these these things. Uh, uh, you can do feature production values on a television show. Getting back to infinite regress. <laughs> so the point is that uh, the infinite digress there. We were yes, at. infinite digress. <laughs> the point is that today you make that scene. You wouldn't just put a funky lens on there and call yeah. it a day. You couldn't. You couldn't do that. You just can't get away with that. <laughs> right, right. And that's what dates this episode for me quite a bit. Um, I mean, you could make this argument about all of Star Trek, really, prior, <laughs> uh, prior to Discovery, even Enterprise. You could you can make this argument because it always it's always people on a couple of sets kind of thing. But sticking a funky lens on the end of the camera for the mind melt sequence is the kind of thing where it makes it stick out, makes me forget, or, or it makes me, excuse me, does the opposite. It makes me remember what I'm watching and, and the time in which it was made. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think it helps it. That's for sure. And what was the name of the species? I mean, that was kind of interesting. The species with the, um, the virus. I mean, that was, they kind of ran over that really quickly, but I mean, that could have been a whole episode by itself. These aliens who are trying to, what do they call them? Species. Did they even give them a name? The call the one. Well, you know, the ones like, that, you, yeah, you, it feels they, like seven gave them a number. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, that was kind of an interesting concept, but I mean, that was kind of just a kind of almost an afterthought in this episode. Well, it reminded me of, uh, I Borg with Hugh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. You know, that was something Picard was considering. Um, I'm not sure that mind mail actually helped her because Tuvok's in there and they got the funky lens and then they disconnect the, Vaniculum, and then she's okay. So, did did Tuvok actually help her at all? I just saved her from jumping off the ledge. No real evidence that there was much assistance there. Now, oh, I had another quick question. I mean, I guess we'll I'll find out though further we get into this. Does does Seven ever get her own quarters? I kind of feel like at this point it's kind of weird her just in this cargo bay by herself. It's her own cargo bay. She's probably got the biggest quarters in the whole whole (laughs) ship. Other people are like, I wish I could have that size quarters. Yeah. I also wish I could sleep standing up, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> What's this episode about? Getting into it, you know, they get into the whole, you know, multi-personality thing. You know, there's the facets, you know, there's, there's, uh, we all carry multiple di- dimensions of our own self within ourselves. You know, there's different facets of us. There's the, there's the child within us. There's the intellect. There's the crazy person. There's the 
you know, a crescent person, all of these things that kind of lie within a, within all of us. And this is kind of, you know, they're using seven because, you know, she's, she's exploring her humanity. She's, you know, she was a Borg for, you know, a number of years and now she's becoming human again. And so this, you know, in a weird way, it's kind of like a natural progression for her to kind of, kind of figure out there's all these sides and facets and dimensions of her. I mean, you know, they, they, they take it to an extreme, but all these things um, lie within us. And um, it's, it's important to be aware of, you know, the different, the different aspects of yourself within, within inside of yourself and your psyche. It's kind of what I talked about. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, that's kind of like I was saying earlier, how I think what's cool about this is that she does, she does seem to get somewhere. There's a little bit of character development in the sense that she, you know, it's almost like she learned something from, you know, the, the, the trauma of this event, you know, and she, you know, decides to, you know, go out and maybe lighten up a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of evidence of that, but yeah, we're often in a position that sooner or later, um, dark sides of ourselves or things that we may not necessarily want to address again, come to the fore for some reason. And we have to encounter that and it's, it's part of us and we have to integrate that into who we are. All right, let's do six degrees for infinite regress. Adam, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Janeway says she discusses temporal. Oh yeah, there's there's like nobody new in this episode. <laughs> it's a bottle thing. Um, well, actually, it wasn't that one alien. He just didn't come back. Janeway says she discusses temporal physics with one of Seven's personalities. What species was that scientist? Do you need a hint? Sure. It's year of Hell. What scientist year of hell? Just what species? She says, I just had a... Oh, so it's probably the species of... Um, I can't remember the name of the spe- that species. Um, sorry. I, like, I like their name. Go ahead, Steve. Is that is that the Krenum? Yes, sir. Steve, will Scarlet Palmers return six times in season six and twice in season seven? Or two times in season six and six times in season seven. Mm-hmm. Is it six and two or two and oh, six? Grief. Fifty fifty. I, 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 I don't know, and I'm trying to. I can't think. Of, I'll say six and two. Yes, sir. Uh, Steve has three. Adam has one. Moving on. Nothing Human, season five, episode eight, production code two hundred. Original air date December second, nineteen ninety eight. Directed by David Livingston. Written by Jerry Taylor. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include David Clinton as Krell Moset, Jod Mogger as Ensign Tabor, and Frank Welker as the voice of the alien creature. Voyager encounters an energy wave that turns out to be a distress call from a nearby ship. Arriving to help, they find the ship contains only one non-humanoid life form on the verge of dying. They transport the scorpion-like creature to sickbay, and the doctor begins to try and treat it. Do no harm. You have no right to say those words. Computer, you can erase my program, doctor. But you can never change the fact that you've already used some of my research. Where was your conscience? When Bellana was dying on that table. Steve, kick us off on nothing human. Yeah, um, so I think I think this is good. Um I think it we're, you know, we're looking at various uh moral dilemmas and 
the like. Um, it's it's extra complex in the sense that ultimately they delete this holographic creature and or hologram this character, but we're we still have never really answered. I don't think fully like when does a hologram become a sentient being and we have the right to just destroy it when it doesn't suit our um, you know our our moral code or methodology too. Which they don't, I don't think they really touch on that in this one. But I mean, I don't, I don't think it's the first time we've seen this kind of thing. Certainly, the notion that um, when we're using the research of that's gathered um, unethically, um, then we ourselves are being unethical. Um, um, it's a lot of moving parts here. You've got uh, it, it seems I don't know. It seems a little brash on Janeway's part because she immediately goes to we're going to defy Taurus's wishes here and just do this despite the fact she specifically said she doesn't want to be treated uh, using this hologram. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious early on there that they, you have the Bajoran engineer and he's obviously planted there. It's like, oh, he's here because we can have the encounter with the Cardassian later. That's kind yeah, of... Yeah, he, he gets assigned to help Kim. What bad luck is that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah what a strange, strange coincidence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, overall, I like it. I don't think it's like the best thing ever or something. I think that it's got some good things to say and interesting questions. Probably could have been explored more fully, but it's... Uh, um, you know, it gives the doctor a bit of a, it kind of, you know, he's also enthusiastic on having a colleague, you know, that he can relate to and someone who's bright and all this early on, then that gets twisted and him having to deal with that, um, deal with that reality that he, you know, um, that it's not so simple as just having a brilliant colleague that's a hologram too, that it's, you know, uh, not, not to mention, of course, it's it's still a hologram of somebody that did these things. It's you know, it's so how is is that really the hologram unethical? I don't know. It, it's 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 interesting stuff to debate. As often these kind of things where you have um, holographic life in it, adding in moral dilemmas, ethical dilemmas, so on. So yeah, I remember really being taken by this episode when it first aired. But then watching watching it this time, I was like, no, it's good. I don't know why I was so thought it was so fantastic years ago. I mean, it's good. It's just, I thought it was great then, and I don't, I don't know what I was thinking because it, <laughs> it's merely good, but it's good. I think I, I just, I like, I always like the Doctor. I mean, he's always, it's no secret, he's my favorite character on the show. And this episode gives him some interesting things to do. I, I like his play with Krell. They, they work well together. They, those, the actors have some good chemistry. Um, and then, of course, it does have a great central question, but like you were saying, it, it they don't wrestle with it for very long. Janeway so quickly just says, "This is my decision. Proceed, Doctor." You know, there's not much, there's not much debate, and obviously, they're not going to kill off a main character on this show. But I guess if it had been somebody else, maybe they could have <laughs> respected. The, if it, if it had been the the no name Bajoran guy, they could have respected his opinion and let him die. I guess I don't know. Right, right. Uh, Adam, your thoughts here? Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with both of y'all's both your points. Um, I kind of feel like it's um, it's similar to Timeless. It's a good episode. Um, it has a lot to say, but it kind of miss to me. It misses the emotional mark, and I, you know, I think Steve made that point about about Timeless. You know, we have this um, we have this holographic character that's basically created in you know twenty seconds. So it didn't really take much to create him. Um, and then, you know, 
two seconds later, you know, um, the doctor is, you know, him and the doctor are best friends. So I think they, I didn't, I never really felt the same emotional connection that the doctor felt to him. Um, as far as like, um, you know, you mentioned like Janeway making the decision. I, that I didn't have a problem with that because I felt like she kind of explained that at the end, you know, it's, these aren't, these aren't normal circumstances, you know, this is, this is kind of military. These aren't normal circumstances, you know, Janeway needs Blana Taurus. She needs her engineer, not not just because she personally has an affection for Bolana, but you know she needs her to get back to Earth. So, I didn't necessarily have a problem with um, what Janeway did um, by defying um, you know Taurus's wishes because you know she needs her and and she's the captain and that's you know if it was just like a normal civilian kind of everyday life, I think that that choice would have been been different. But in, under these circumstances, I didn't I didn't think Janeway was brash or made the wrong decision. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I just, I never really felt that kind of connection to this holographic character. I didn't, you know, there was no, there was no struggle to make him. There was no really emotional connection that I had to him. You know, like I said, like, you know, we'll get into a little bit more, you know, there's this, you know, ethical question of, do you use um, research that is, been gotten by unethical means you know and that's a that's a stroke that's an interesting concept it's an interesting thing to debate and, and talk about um but as far as like the character the actual holographic character you know living or dying at the end i kind of felt it was um um it was kind of forced i didn't like i didn't i didn't really care if he was there or not at the end so that's kind of that's where i was i think this episode would have been a little stronger and, and maybe this is what my memories of it were but and why I liked it more before, I thought this is more of what it was, but it wasn't. If it had focused more on the doctor, if the doctor had been the one struggling, but he's not, he's like, we should do it. Let's use his research. Let's save her. No question. You know, if the doctor had been the one struggling, if it was more of a doctor episode, but you know, by the time you get to the end of the episode, you have uh, Janeway and Torres's quarters and Torres is like, you had no right to make this decision for me. He was like, well, this is is this a doctor episode or is this a Torres episode, right? Like this is, I think if they'd focused more on the doctor and if he'd been the one struggling throughout the episode, right, right, it could have had more of that heart that we're saying it's missing. Maybe the stakes could have been more interesting for our characters, for our for the doctor at least, you know. Yeah. Uh, but as is the decision he makes at the end of the episode is obviously the only one he could make. Um, it doesn't feel like a decision. One thing as well, I will say, you know, this is kind of like a little side note. One thing I did kind of like about this episode is the life form that, you know, this this little scorpion-esque type of creature, um, kind of more like a, a bug than anything. And I kind of thought that was that was cool, you know, so often, you know, in Star Trek, you know, you basically get, you know, just a human with makeup as the alien. So I kind of like the concept of this very different type of creature um, that is intelligent and is spacefaring. So... And is completely nothing like a human being. So, but they didn't really go too far down, too far with that. But I, I like that they well, made that. They choice. didn't try very hard, really, because right, yeah. it, it it occurred to me that if they just tickled it, it probably would have let go. Right? <laughs> let's do six degrees for nothing human. Or do we ask about what it's actually? About? Let's do that after we ask what is this episode about. <laughs> um. This episode, you know, it's kind of got it's obvious obvious themes, you know, ethical dilemmas and and morals, and you know what you do with um, 
sketchy, you know, with, with unethical research, you know, these, these dilemmas that, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're timeless, you know, it's pretty straightforward. That's kind of what I got from this episode. Do you, you know, and then there's like, we talked about before with the Lana, do you, do you weigh, you weigh what a, what the personal rights and wishes of a person who's sick and dying with, you know, their life and and what they mean to you know the community so those were the the themes that i got from here this episode yeah i I agree with that it's almost like there's almost too many themes in this one i think that might be some of what's holding it back as we kind of alluded to you know too many there's got to be a central focus of the the ethical dilemma to an extent um and there are and there are so many ethical questions really it's not i mean the primary is definitely um the ethics of using uh, medical research to heal that, that research has been gathered unethically um along with the rights of the individuals to you refuse treatment and why and so on and so forth but those are definitely the themes uh, pervading this episode all right let's do six degrees for nothing human steve are you going first or second i'll go first jad major plays tabor Tabor, the Majoran that don't like that doctor. He'll play the character again in the episode Regression when Tuvok investigates assaults targeting former McKee. Is that season six or seven? Mm, gosh. 50-50. Yeah, it's 50-50. How about seven? Yes, sir. Uh, Adam, Frank Welker provides the alien's voice. Welker's famous for providing the voice for what dog? What dog? Of course, I had to ask this question. When you say Frank Welker, one name comes to mind. For what dog? Mm-hmm. Since I have no idea, I'm just going to say Scooby-Doo. Yep. <laughs> wow. Four to two. Good. Steve takes it for the day, but Adam got Scooby, so that's worth <laughs> bonus points. You get Scooby snack. And then, yeah, and I pulled that straight out of my booty. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat that Scooby snack. You pull it straight out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Wow. It's a weird time. We're recording this a weird time, people. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh let's see. You can follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is Facebook.com slash Trek Companion. I think I posted something recently somewhere because I, I realized it was the 35th anniversary. I went to I went to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the the new Star Wars thing in mm-hmm. Disneyland, which is pretty great, by the way. I recommend everybody cool. go. But the day I was there, I was walking around and thinking about Star Trek all day because because <laughs> it was 35 years to the day that Star Trek Three came out, mm. which is still my favorite movie, even though I totally understand why some people don't like it. But I just kept thinking about, I don't know, stealing the Enterprise, one of the greatest cinematic sequences ever. So I think I posted some quick little message about about that either on facebook or, or twitter i forget so we do actually use it occasionally um <laughs> uh so let's see oh you can also send us an email trek companion at gmail.com we are going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of voyager and until next time thanks for spending an hour with us take it easy bye guys see ya
Stefan and Pastor.